0: Praise God. His mercy is more. Let me continue as we worship together. Let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this wonderful time to refresh our hearts, renew our souls, and cleanse our spirits. Lord God, we pray that as we talk about you and think about you, that you would help us to speak well, that you would help us to think well, help us to feel well, Lord, and help us to be well, Lord. It's not just doing, but it's also believing and feeling and being. And Lord, as we come before you this morning, I pray that you would draw us close so that we can be with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you have ever seen one of these? Do you know what this is? You got it, Walker? What is it? Weird but true, I bet you have a lot of these facts stored in your brain, don't you? Yeah. I've got a few for you this morning, one that I particularly like about toilets. Would you like to hear some weird but true facts on toilets? Why not, right? We're in church, of course. We're going to talk about toilets. This is in honor of our musicians this morning. Such a great team, I reward you with this. Did you know that most toilets flush in the key of E-flat? There you go. Weird, but true. The average life expectancy of a toilet? 50 years. Yeah. 72.4% of the people place their toilet paper to be pulled from over the roll, not under the roll. So you could be in one percentage or the other. An average person visits the restroom 2,500 times per year. (laughs) You can figure out where you're at on that. (laughs) I've got more, (laughs) but I should probably stop. Weird, but true. So we enjoy those things because they're kind of funny, and they're factual, and yet they're just odd, and yet... We come to the Bible, and I'm not sure exactly what we're expecting when we read the Bible. But let me assure you, there is some stuff in there that is weird, but true. Weird, but true. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 today is going to have a couple of those statements. When you come across them, you're going to be like, that is weird but let me assure you they are true. Many people, again, read this book and they think, oh, what an Eeyore, just a total pessimist. This guy has just lost it. But as we get to the end of today's passage, I think you will see how significant and eternally weighty and valuable these statements actually are. It's not just weird. It's weird, but true. Two statements today that we will pursue are these. If you're taking notes or you have a uh, children's Bulletin, you can write this down. Here are the two statements. Um, all the statements, by the way, are framed, before I even say that, all are framed in the middle by two words better than. Better than. And they're comparison statements. So on one end there's this, and on the other end there's that. On one end there's this, on the other end there's that. And what he does, he says, This is better than that. This is better than that. Now you can probably think of a lot of things you'd put in there. Like, you know, ice cream is better than vegetables. You know, chocolate is better than everything. You know, whatever you might fill in, this is better than that. But here is what the author of Ecclesiastes says. He says that death, the day of death, is better than the day of your birth. death is better than and he says that a rebuke is better than a rebuke is better than a song death is better and a rebuke is better merry christmas welcome here it's going to be an encouraging sermon today i promise Consider the end is the theme. Consider the end, and the two statements or two steps we're taking to walk through is death is better, and a rebuke is better. And how do we get there? Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is going to explain that to us. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up, take a look. I'm not going to cover everything in this passage today. I'm going to focus on the big ideas, the main themes, and walk them through these two points. You can pursue more on your own. But Ecclesiastes chapter 7... Starts like this. It says. A good name. Is better than. Precious ointment. And the day of death. Better than. The day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning. Than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. And the living. Will lay it. To heart. Sorrow is better than laughter for by sadness of the face the heart is made glad the heart of the wise is in the house of the morning but the heart of the fools in the house of mirth it is better to, for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of the fools for as the crackling of thorns under a pot so is the laughter of fools this also is vanity Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Here's the thing driving it, verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Now verse 21, 21. Do not take to heart all the things that people say. Lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. So death is better than birth. And a rebuke is better than a song. Weird, but true. How so, Pastor Jeremy? Well... Look again at verse eight. This is what I hinted at when we read through it, is this, is that there's a controlling thought in this better than comparison passage. There's a lot of different better thans, but here's the main idea that's moving them all forward, and it's this in verse eight. Better is the end of a thing than it's beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So what in the world is he saying there? Well, you probably all, all all know this intuitively. For example, if you're going to run a marathon, do you feel better after your... De- well, maybe that's not a good example. No, that's not a good one. The completion of a task. Okay, let's put the marathon away for a moment. That's my next illustration. Uh, the completion of a task. It's better at the end than at the beginning because at the beginning, you run into this... Oh, let's see here. I have to think of the right word because I talked to someone earlier. Activation energy barrier. Raise your hand if you know what that is. If you're a chemical engineer, or a Dow, or anything close, you probably know. For those of us who do not, it is the energetic barrier to a chemical reaction. So in other words, for A plus B to equal C, you need some energy to occur in that process. And in order for that to happen, often The chemist or the chemical engineer will use heat because the more heat, the more molecules are moving, the more they're moving, the more they collide, the more they collide, the more energy, and boom, all of a sudden, you get this thing going. As in chemistry, so too in life, there is a significant activation energy barrier. I mean, think about it. You're on Sunday afternoon, and you see the leaves in the front yard, and you're like, oh, (laughs) Activation energy is just not there right now, you know. There's going to have to be something that gets me out the door, makes me move a little in order to do this. There's a resistance. There's, there's something that holds us back because we know how difficult or we anticipate how difficult it's going to be. And so the author of Ecclesiastes, he says, better the end than the beginning. After you rake the leaves, you feel good. After you complete the task, you feel good. But at the initial startup, you're like, oh man, this is hard. This requires a lot. I'm not sure. It's difficult. It's messy. Eh, Not so sure. Better the end than the beginning. Look, good things take time. Amen. Good things take time. Some people may think that a sermon just Say whatever is on your heart or what the Lord thinks. No, it's a lot of work. Anything you do in life requires a lot of work. Rome was not built in a the day, they say. Success is a long, slow, painful process. Think about any example. For example, a marathon. is difficult. It's painful. It's long. And for most of us, it's slow. Marriage. Just saying, (laughs) not everything's a honeymoon, right? It's long, it's a process and it gets better, but it's a bit of a stretch at times, right? Black belts, taekwondo, you're not gonna be awesome on day one, you're probably gonna get kicked in the head a few times and it's gonna hurt. Business, instant overnight startup success, billionaire, Not most of them. I think it was something like 99% of all uh, startup small businesses fail. It's hard work. Good things take time. And therefore, the wise author of Ecclesiastes tells us, look, better the end than the beginning. And with that in mind, you begin to interpret the statements that are made in this passage, for example, death is better than birth. Well, how can that be? Well, let me give you another example. What about Jesus? Death is better than birth. Is that true of Jesus? Answer is yes. Absolutely. Now, don't get me wrong. The incarnation, the fact that infinite, eternal, almighty God actually took on finite flesh and added it to himself in every perfect way is one of the utmost grandest miracles in the entire universe. That's way better than leprosy or sight or blind or anything like that. This is a big deal. And yet, that was not enough. In order for the plan of redemption to be accomplished, Christ had to defeat the ultimate enemy, pay the ultimate price, and demonstrate his victory over it. And for that to occur, there had to be death. For without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Jesus had to die. And in fact, through his death, he gains more than he does through his birth. In his death, Jesus gained freedom for us. Freedom, forgiveness, forgiveness. Resurrection, new life, the presence of the Holy Spirit to go with us now. His sealing and indwelling that guarantee our eternal victory. His conviction and prompting that give us the energy we need to overcome the barriers in our life. Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension accomplish more than his birth. Christ proves that death is better than life. Not only for Christ, but also the Christian or the Christian. When we die, if we believe in Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord, if you've asked him to forgive you for your sins and you are truly trusting him, not just coming to church because your mom or dad made you, because you're trying to please your wife, because you think it's a good thing to do or maybe it'll get you on the right path. But if you're truly believing in Jesus as the only begotten Son of the living God who died on the cross and rose from the grace for the forgiveness of your sins, then when you die, you get him. You get him, and that is better than anything else. They show you in the movies these awesome relationships. Everyone's supposed to be happy, but they're not. It only lasts a moment. But when you get Jesus, you get Forever. You get Jesus and everything that comes with it. You get the new heavens and the new earth, the new bodies, the resurrection, the kingdom, eternal, and the provision for everything you've ever needed. Just like Christ, so too the Christian. When you die, you get more. When you die, you get more than when you're born. That's just the way it is. Philippians 1.21 says it like this. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Pursue the word gain throughout the book of Ecclesiastes and he shows you all these other things that we're pursuing for gain aren't gain. But dying in Christ is truly gain. Death is better than birth because you get more. You get more. You just do. Once you're born, you're always going to want more. But when you die, if you're in Christ, you never want more again. At that point, you finally have everything. You bo- you're born, you start crying, you hurt, you need help. You die, you are healed, you live forever, and you live in the presence of the Son. Totally different. Death is better because you get more. Death is better because it teaches more. Death is better because it teaches more. Now, our church building is a bit newer than some others, but if you go to those old church buildings way out in the country, up on a hill, Many times what you'll find surrounding the church, you know what it is? A cemetery. Exactly right. Why? Because it reminds you of your mortality. On the way to contemplate the eternal, you have to walk through the cemetery. It's a sobering experience as you go into the presence of God to remember who is eternal and who is not. And you walk by the many loved ones lost long ago. Death teaches more. I, I began, I haven't learned, I haven't completed, I'm not there. But I began to learn this at a very young age in ministry. When I was 26 years old, uh, was my first pastorate in this little town out in the boondocks. And what happened is this, they had one nursing home in the entire city. 1,000 people, four churches, one nursing home. So the pastors got together and we said, okay, how are we going to do this? Because they want church services or communion or whatever every week. And not all of us can be there every week. And so we got divided up. So once a month, each of us are going to the nursing home. And in that experience, through that regular process, over the course of six years, what I began to see is this. Obviously, people have different experiences, but there's a commonality to it. And it was this. When people are at the very end, when they're in their last moments, do you know who's in the room with them? It's not me. It's not the nurse. It's not their mom or dad. It's their spouse. And if they have them, kids. There's like two or three people that will be with you at the very end. And that's it. You know, the nurse is going to come in every hour or so. And she might take your blood pressure and your pulse. Note it on her chart. She'll come out of the door click done with you she'll go into the next room and do the same thing blood pressure pulse medicines vital signs out the door click that's what you are to her click you know the pastor he'll visit you it's his job he may never have known you and he's trying because he's made in the image of God and wants to be more like Jesus but you know what the schedule is tight and there's a lot of things to do. So he's going to make his visit. He's going to put down the card. He's going to pray for you. And then he's going to go away. And do you know who's going to be in that room with you? It's your spouse or your kids. What does death teach us? What matters? Is it your work group? Do you know what they'll be doing? They'll be at work. Making money. Which is why they go there. It's not for you. But what matters most are those two or three relationships in your life that really actually care and actually do love you. And at the very end, when there's nothing else, when there's no house, no car, no job, no career, no nothing, they'll be there. If done it right what matters what matters most death teaches more it teaches you what relationships matter in your life and it teaches you how you want to live your life go to a funeral the author says go to a funeral i would rather go to a feast go to a funeral Go to a funeral and see what you find. When the people get up on stage, what do they have to say? I've had to do different kinds of funerals, and I know sometimes you're scratching your head. Is there anything good we can say about this fella? It's a bit of a stretch. But if you go to a funeral where their loved ones love them because you know that they invested in the right thing, and you know their heart was in the right place, and you know that they believed in Jesus, it's a totally different experience. You go and you see, of course, crying, but at the same time you see rejoicing, you see celebrating, you see honor. Go to a funeral and see what you learn. What will they say about you at yours? Oh, I'm only 18. I I got a long ways to go. You don't know. Every day you get in a car, you have no idea. What will they say at at your funeral? i got plenty of time to build and develop that. No, you don't. There's a time for everything. A time for life and a time for death. And we don't know our time for death. Only God does. No matter how young or old you are. We all sit on that precipice every single day. And you go to a funeral and you find out what matters most. And that applies to you kiddos. That applies to us adults. And everyone in between. Death teaches more consider the funeral consider the nursing home what matters most number one death is better number two a rebuke is better number two a rebuke is better than a song a rebuke is better than a song why is that well same thing Ecclesiastes 7 8 says this Better is the end than the beginning, and the patient in spirit than the proud in spirit. What is the end? Well, we look forward to the eternal hereafter. So let's jump to that Revelation passage, um, Martin, if we could. And this will give you just a little encouragement. I know we've been considering death for a second. But Revelation says this. What is the ultimate end? The ultimate end for those who are in Christ says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw all the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. Amen? That's the end we're looking forward to. But we don't get saved and get there. Do we? Boy, how I wish we did. But no, it is, again, like a marathon or like marriage or like business or like anything else. There's this long, slow, painful process of becoming more and more like Christ. And so for us on earth who are not in heaven, then our goal here and now is to be more like Jesus. That's the goal. So consider the end. Think about the outcome. If the desired outcome is to be more like Christ, what helps you more? Being refined or being praised? What moves you more in that direction? And the answer, of course, is a rebuke. A rebuke is better than a song. Now, let me be really clear up front because I think when we hear the word rebuke, most, if you're like me, just sort of shudder and shiver. Why? Because what you're expecting is not a rebuke, it's an insult. What you're expecting is not a rebuke, but an insult. Insults hurt. Let me tell you the difference between a rebuke and an insult, okay? A rebuke refines an insult rubs wrong a rebuke builds up an insult tears down a rebuke helps an insult harms a rebuke gives the advantage to the other person but an insult tries to get even A rebuke is sorrowful, but an insult is angry. A rebuke must come from the wise, but an insult, the fool. Listen again to Ecclesiastes 7, verse 5. It says this, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise, of the wise. What does that mean? The author is not telling you every time someone insults you, just enjoy it. Eat it up. It's going to be great. No, 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 no. He's actually saying the opposite of that. If you look at verse 21, that's why we included it. It says, do not take to heart all the things that people say. Do not take to heart all the things that people say. There's helpful and there's harmful. A rebuke is helpful. An insult is harmful. What you're after is anything that can make you more like Christ. And if somebody gives you some of that, even if it hurts, take it. Swallow it, eat it up because it's good for you. But if they're giving you something that tears you down and makes you feel bad and guilty and yucky, then that's the wrong stuff. And you spit it out and get it away. Accept the rebuke of the wise, but don't take to heart everything that everyone says. If you do, you'll just be crushed. You'll run around hurt all the time. And listen, this goes For the little voice inside your head as well. Because we have to remember to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. But we have to reject the evil of the enemy. And sometimes it's really hard to know the difference. You're like, all right, is that guilt or is that conviction? You know, guilt there shouldn't be because Jesus paid our price. But conviction, oh yeah, because the Holy Spirit is there to help. There's difference between guilt and conviction. There's difference between godly remorse that drives you to repentance and life change and something that just drags you down and doesn't help. When you hear the still small voice that is helping you be more like Christ, that's the right way. If you hear the little voice that's just nagging and hurting and insulting and dragging you down, that's the wrong one. Hear the rebuke of the wise. Ignore the song of the fools. Do not take to heart everything that everyone says. But do listen to that what can make you more like Jesus. So a rebuke is better than a song. Weird, but true. What do we say today? What we said is this. We said, consider the end. Think about the outcome. How do you envision or want things to be at the end of the line? If you're pressing on towards the prize, if you're headed for that high calling in Christ Jesus, then what you want is to be more like Christ. And the guarantee you have is as a result of his death, burial, resurrection, the Holy Spirit living inside you, you will be. As a result, we can say with confidence and assurance that death is better than life. We gain more and we learn more. And we can even say in faith, believing a rebuke is better than a song because if it helps me to be more like Jesus, that's where I want to be. Ecclesiastes chapter seven says this. Let me read parts of it to you one more time as we remember. Consider the end. Chapter seven, verse one says, a good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of birth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Say not, why were the former days better than these? Remember Revelation 21. For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Remember, Christian, just like Christ, even if you're crucified, death is better than life. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning, and the patient in spirit than the proud. Father, we thank you and praise you for today. Thank you for the example of Christ, our Lord, who truly wanted his father's will all the way. Lord, we admit that this, too, is a hard saying. We would live and enjoy and laugh and breathe freely. But sometimes, Lord, we have to go through the valley of the shadow of death to sit on the mountain with you. And we pray, Lord, that whatever we're passing through in this moment that you would cause us to be faithful and trust you for the future. We say this not in our own strength, but by grace through faith, together, all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Will you stand?